Hey folks, Ryan Kennedy here. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I want to kick things off here with a question. What if there was a miraculous drug that makes you lose excess body fat, improves cognitive performance, alleviates depression, relieves pain, enhances your sexual performance, helps you sleep, reduces stress, makes you live longer, and just downright makes you feel incredible. Now that's a monster list of benefits that I think everyone listening to this desires on some level, but you're probably thinking if there's a drug that does this, the side effects must be terrible and the costs must be outrageous. Well, what's crazy is that it's free and there's no harmful side effects. So what is this miraculous thing I'm alluding to? It's called exercise and it's a freaking miracle drug, people. It's been proven time and time again in countless studies to do all the things I just listed, plus more. And we're going to be diving deep on today's episode into the mental and emotional benefits of exercise and how movement can literally transform your quality of life. My guest today is John Kemp, who is the perfect person to chat about this topic with since he credits exercise as the thing that literally saved his life. John specializes in helping people optimize their health and performance in a holistic way using movement, nutrition, and mindfulness. He's a strength coach. He's a mobility coach. He's a yoga teacher. He's been training clients for over a decade. And so I'm really excited for this conversation since I was introduced to John by my good friend, Brandon, shout out to Brandon Collinsworth, who is notorious for connecting me with Epic Humans. So I know this is going to be a great conversation. So John, I'd like to start things off here by hearing more about how and, and why you got into this field of holistic health and fitness. Thank you for the wonderful introduction, Ryan. It's truly a pleasure to be here, man. I, shout out to Brandon as well. When he connected us, I knew that this was going to be awesome just because we, we share a lot of uh, similar beliefs about the power and potency of these natural medicines, low cost, no cost stuff. I'm so passionate about this stuff. So I'm really excited to share. And uh, I'll just take it back to the roots when I was in middle school ish and I was going through some seriously challenging times in the family environment and exercise was at that point just a way for me to move emotions through my body to just have a source of therapy for the anger and the frustration that I was feeling as a kid because when you're younger you don't necessarily have the ability to control your environment as we the, the more that we do now as adults. And so obviously you can, you know, hit uh, points of frustration. And uh, the only thing that I could think of doing was moving my body and just sweating and pushing and exerting energy to help get this out of my system, get that anger, get that tension out of my system. And I mean, I was just a kid. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was listening to God smack, just, I hate my life. I'm so angry. Yeah. But that, that truly was now looking back the, the start of my journey. And typically when, when people talk about their story over the long term, when you hit that point, I think it was um, Steve Jobs said something like, you can never connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. They're just stars, random dots on a graph moving in the, in the direction of the future until you can look back in the past and see all those all connect those different memories, experiences, make a larger story, a constellation. And I can see that now in my journey, how the, the shadow 
the the kind of like um, negative aspect of uh, why I was exercising was just for therapy, just for relief to get this stuff out of me and uh, not be in my head and thinking about the things that were going on at home. And uh, so that really led me then into, I was already athletic as a kid, as far as playing sports a lot. I played a lot of baseball, played a lot of football and uh, football was really the saving grace for me coming into high school where I was able to control that aggression and channel that rage into something that gave benefit to my life and uh, those around me, you know, being able to, you know, positively contribute to the success of the team, uh, to support my brothers, my comrades, my teammates, and, you know, to have that sense of pride of accomplishment by doing a good job, being seen and recognized by my coach. And so that truly was uh, the, the biggest outlet for me is to be able to move my body and exercise and engage in something active that was allowing me to get all that energy, that emotion out of my body and weight training. Uh, I started weight training when I was 14, 15 years old. And uh, that was where I really started to see the benefit. It wasn't just I'm exercising to get this rage out of my body, but I was starting to realize I was developing and cultivating skills beyond the physical realm. I was gaining mental fortitude. I could endure suffering for an extended period of time, which is something I'm all about. I really think leaning into resistance in all areas of your life is one of the best things you can do to grow into that person that you want to be and have those things that you want to have. You got to be able to lean in and have that resilience. And that was something that I learned through weight training. Arnold Schwarzenegger has a quote. It's something like, um, Building physical uh, strength in the gym builds uh, mental character and fortitude and will and all these skills I started to develop from weightlifting, you know, and I definitely uh, used it as a source of therapy, but it also shaped me into the man that I am today, you know, the iron sharpens iron and, and all of those quotes that, you know, if you put in effort and struggle with the best uh, of your ability, doesn't matter if you win or lose at that point, you've given your best effort. And so I just started to notice how exercise started cultivating these other skills in my life. And, you know, we're holistic beings. So having exercise, you know, develop my emotional resilience and ability to maintain composure in, in my home environment. And, you know, having the ability to lean into things and complete tasks that weren't necessarily super appealing to me, you know, related to like academics or whatever it was, I was building all these skills from exercise beyond just working out to lose weight. And so that was kind of like where the access point was for me of coming in and, and exercise really was what allowed me to channel that anger and that aggression. I'm, I know for certain if it wasn't for football, I probably would be dead or in jail. Like it was my opportunity to really allow myself to express those emotions in a safe and controlled environment, quote unquote, safe and controlled football. Yeah. yeah. But somewhere that was, that I was allowed to do that. And uh, that's, that's kind of like what started my journey 
into the profession of being a strength and conditioning coach in college. And I was a, a student intern in college and uh, then became a personal trainer. And because of the unhealthy lifestyle in my upbringing, it was always a big passion for me to try to help my family members, improve the health of my family members. And being a first generation college student, I had no idea about, I didn't even think I was going to go to college. I had no um, understanding of what that process was even like. And uh, eventually I did end up going to college. And then I remember my sophomore year, I saw some flyer for kinesiology, kinesiology. What is that? And it's just like a one page flyer on, you know, these are the things you, you learn about the body and movement and exercise. And, and all, I was like, oh my God, these are like all my passions. Like I can literally get a degree that will lead to me, you know, getting a professional career, a job in the field of exercise. And like, at that point I was like, I can get paid to work out. I can get paid to help others work out. I can use this passion that I have in this kind of foundation of skills that I've developed from my teenage years, from exercise and strength training to improve the life quality of others, which is always something I really wanted to do. I really wanted to help my family members to improve their life quality because I was a witness to the suffering in my family environment. And that was really hard for me. So exercise as a way to help people the way it helped me was a dream. I'd never even considered it until I saw this flyer and I enrolled in, I went and saw my advisor and I got signed up as a kinesiology undergrad and the rest is history from there. Just learning and building on exercise and adding the different components of holistic health, like nutrition and sleep and meditation and mindful living and well-being and all those things that contribute to optimizing human health and performance. So you can be happy and strong and go about your life and uh, do so in a way that uh, benefits everybody, including yourself. Yeah. We have a lot of parallels there, um, with my own path and most people really do associate exercise as changing, you know, your physical body. Like I want to get stronger. I want to lose some body fat. I want to improve my physique for, you know, number of reasons that a person might have, but they don't really have the same focus on how it's going to transform their mindset and their ability to work towards goals and their discipline and their overall commitment in accomplishing something. And then I love what you shared about leaning into that resistance. That's huge because I love the, the saying it's become somewhat of a cliche, but when you make hard choices, your life is easy. When you make easy choices and you take the easy path, your life gets pretty damn hard. And exercise is a perfect example of that. And so that is why I'm such a big proponent of this. Cause I, you know, going through as a younger child, I, I didn't have as many anger um, or, you know, pent up frustration issues. Mine was more of the, the loss of my mom of cancer and, and going through a lot of hardships from that standpoint, the thing that kept me out of, you know, dark states of depression and, and just really downward spiral. Cause I didn't have much parental guidance after the age of 16 was fitness was exercise was athletics was moving my body and creating these positive emotions. And at the time I didn't put one and one together either. I just knew if I train, I felt better. And if I didn't, I felt lousy. And it was as simple as that. It was just like, this makes me feel good physically, mentally, emotionally, and makes me feel good about myself. I'm accomplishing something. I'm doing something productive. That's bettering myself, bettering my body, bettering my life. And so that's something I really like to highlight in athletics, man. I think that's something every child needs to experience because that's how I made friends. That's how you learn how to connect with people on a social level. It's how you build that camaraderie. It's how you also, same thing as the exercise component, really 
set out to accomplish something, you find that discipline and really that straight path that carries over into every aspect of your life. So that is freaking huge. And one, one of the things I want to kind of go into next is on this topic of depression, because it's the number one disability worldwide. You know, hundreds of millions of people in the U.S. alone are suffering from clinical depression and many go the pharmaceutical route. But I think a lot of it can be solved biochemically and, you know, psycho psychologically by just moving your body, getting out and doing some exercise, getting out in the sunshine, exposing yourself to these elements, like you said, whether it's a cold, a cold plunge or whether it's the, the sauna. And a lot of people I talk to and, you know, people in my life who are going through hardships and, you know, dealing with bouts of depression, they're like, how do you, how are you so happy all the time? You, you know, you're, you must be blessed or lucky that you have some sort of, you know, godly like neurochemistry. And I'm like, dude, if I lived the way you live, if I sat inside, I didn't exercise, I didn't get outdoors. I was under artificial junk light watching TV. I'd be depressed as shit in just a few days. Like it wouldn't even take that long for me to feel absolutely awful. And so I want you to speak on that too. It's just the, the mental and really neurochemical changes that take place when you do a consistent form of training, whatever that might look like. Man, this is so good. I, I really, uh, I appreciate that we're taking this conversation down this route because it's the uh, untalked about part of all of yeah. this. And man, everybody, anxiety or depression, you know, they're just different sides of the same coin in a sense. And uh, this is another reason why I'm a huge fan of your work, because I preach this so much that we have control of our genetic expression through the field of epigenetics. Mm -hmm. I love the analogy of Texas Hold'em, where your genetics are like the two cards that you get. You can't change those. You've got a two and a seven. You've got a two and a seven. Yeah. People, they've got two aces. They've got Olympic Olympian parents, you know? Yeah. How you engage with your environment, the five cards on the table makes or breaks your hand. And a lot of people, I think, are as this field grows, the, the knowledge of this field grows. It's really empowering for a lot of people. I remember when I was reading this stuff, and this is really, I, I feel like this conversation will touch on that at a later point, but where nutrition and those other forms of nutrition beyond food per se are also key factors in the regulation of your health and well being and your epigenetic expression. And um, specifically from the perspective of depression, I can speak on this because that is the, the two cards that I have in my genetic hand will express depression if I don't manage those environmental factors appropriately. Like you said, we're just good at managing through practice, you know, N equals one, we are the science experiment, try something out, observe, conclude, tinker with the variables, repeat the study, and just continuing to refine the process being the scientist and the experiment, you get to see what works and what doesn't work. And like you said, it's not like when we were 15 years old, we had a, an intellectual understanding of this, but there was an intuitive body wisdom that said, hey, that felt good, do that again. And if you go too long without it, you're like, hey, knock, knock, like kind of feeling shitty, man. Like, yep do some regulation of your lifestyle factors and some of the biggest ones, you know, even just from the physical lens would be exercise or even movement, I think is kind of the larger umbrella to discuss because exercise can bring with it a lot of um, uh, judgments 
versus, you know, movement. We, we all move, we all have a human body. And when we move, certain things happen. Yep. Call that exercise. You can call that dance. You can call that working the fields for a day, you know, like farming and gardening, like that could be considered a form of exercise without having to think about like, you know, neon shorts and squats. And, you know, like there's such a skew, especially with social media on what really exercise is now, but just from the lens of therapy, I can attest to this so strongly in my own life where, especially at those points where you feel frustrated or that you don't have control, you can really go down that spiral. And uh, the apathy was something that was uh, that I had to deal with myself personally, where you'd be laying in bed and you want to get out of bed and go do something, but you just can't even will yourself to do it. And then the shame and the guilt that you put on yourself for that is really the heavy blanket. Like that's intense. And I'm I'm someone like I've been a leader, I've been a captain in all, in my whole life, I've always taken positions of leadership and I hold the bar of expectation very high for myself. And that is a double-edged sword because when you're in those states of apathy or you're not producing at your highest, that judgment of yourself is even stronger, which is only going to feed back into that negative spiral even more. And I definitely promote exercise to people that are, are dealing with, uh, anxiety or depression just for that biochemical cocktail that you get from exercise. And I mean, just going down to the most basic level of exercise and movement in general reduces inflammation on so many levels systemically. And inflammation is essentially one of the largest problems that we're dealing with and causes the turning up of the genes that express disease and turning down of the genes that express health. And so just looking at it in the way that you described it in the beginning was so great because it's this panacea for so many things, but it also is like perfectly set up to make you have to, to achieve that. You have to do something. You have to act. You have to, actually put forth the effort to reap the reward of exercise versus what we've been conditioned to believe over time with social media and modern industry. It's not a bad thing. It's just what it is. It's a tool that's been misused by those looking to create, you know, selfish gains where, Hey, you buy this pill, you don't have to do anything. It's you, you, you just sit there and buy my, you all you have to do is give me your money. You know, they make that decision so easy for somebody and they make it so emotionally compelling by playing on it's psychology 101 stuff, you know, studying that in college. I'm like reading the psych 101 textbook and I'm like, oh, my God, this is like this must be the book that every advertising company ever has read because it's like exactly how to manipulate somebody's mind into getting them to do what you want. And I think we've just been sold that fast food, fast results fast, quick, easy. And instead of embracing like, yeah, it's good. You know, and that usually is the beauty of things where it's, you know, if you put some, some effort, not even an intense, insane amount of effort, just a little bit of effort consistently applied over a long period of time equals a compounding return on investment, you know? And I think that's the biggest thing to, um, 
to convey to people is remove the idea and judgments and perspective that you have on exercise based on what you've been conditioned to believe exercise is from social media and from the fitness industry selling you the body by Jake, whatever, six pack beach body kind of look. Yeah. And just go to the movement conversation of like, dude, just move your body. Like it literally doesn't matter how you move it. And from that, the best advice I have for people is just do what you like to do. That's the key. That's the key, man. And I mean, that's number one. If you can start to add other components on that, you know, synergize the effect, for example, move your body. Okay. We know moving the body. And like, to me, this is a, a lecture that I have on my nutrition course, epigenetic expression and lifestyle factors, how to manage your health and fitness using that information. And essentially you've got external factors and internal factors, and both of those influence your genes and, you know, some external factors, not even to name them all would be exercise, sleep, nutrition via food, water, air, and sunlight. And then you have internal factors like your microbiome, your inflammation levels, your immune system, all of the different lymphatic system, all the different systems of the body. If you can manage appropriately the internal and external factors, you will express ideal optimal health. Like it really is that simple. All you have to do is then realize, oh, it's on me. Yes. It's not a pill in a bottle. Like I, I have to be the one that takes responsibility for my health. And that really is why I love the word sovereignty. Being independent of any kind of system that uh, you require support from, you know, in that, that idea of detaching from a story somebody else told you and creating your own story and using the information, you know, knowledge and application, the information is out there. There's a lot of it. It can be confusing, but a lot of it is the basic stuff, just like move your body. And we know, okay, sunlight. And this is one thing I love about the work that you do is you're really big on sunlight and sunlight to me is one of the biggest medicines for depression. It has absolutely been the game changer for me. That's why I moved to Hawaii. The primary reason was to get more sunlight. I was in Washington prior and they call it the Seattle blues yeah. during your time. Cause it's so gray and so dark and you're above the 35th parallel. So you're not getting adequate UV, which means you're not making enough vitamin D and all the other things that sun does for you. It's just such an incredible medicine and the combination of movement and sunlight, you know, that's why my number one recommendation to people is go for a walk outside, clears your mind, fresh air in your lungs, sun on your skin, pumping the water wheel, you're getting all your fluids moving, gaseous exchanges, metabolic rate, all of it. It's all everything moves when you move. And it's that simple. And it's like, okay, then it's just prescription, you know, what's the effective dose? How do I apply that into my individual life when I have X amount of kids and this job and all those other things? And that's where individual program design comes in and you start to find some of those more fine-tuned layers that you can really specialize with somebody. But ultimately it's, hey, take, take back control of your own health and start moving your body. If you just applied that principle, I think the, the, it's like 150 minutes a day, or excuse me, 150 minutes a week is the recommended prescription which comes out to about 20 minutes a day, 
which I mean, that's, that's 20 minutes to go for a walk outside every day. Like that's, that's not asking very much. And especially if the return on investment is so impactful that it, you know, gets you out of bed or like helps you not be depressed, like getting out of pain, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional pain is such a catalyst that it creates such a desire in people, myself included to do those things. And the, and the funny thing is, I'm sure you can relate to this. The more you do those things and the longer that you do them, when you don't do them, the contrast is so significant. Oh yeah. You notice it. Like if I don't, if I don't get two nights in a row of not getting adequate amount of sleep or a few days in a row without moving my body or getting sunlight, like sunlight's almost a daily requirement for me at this point where I totally. just, notice those subtle things where I'm not at my peak. I can feel myself and it's physically, I'm not as energetic, but also mentally, I'm usually a little less clear emotionally. Maybe I'm a little more blah, you know, it really is tied to all the layers of the body. And it's like, Oh man, like just go for a walk, go outside, whatever it is, water your lawn or your garden, you know, just to get outside and stand on the earth and breathe in fresh air. It's like all those simple, basic medicines, I think have so much power and potential it's just giving people the knowledge that like yeah this stuff like earthing man like putting your feet in the dirt is like so good for inflammation and all these other things and it's like almost too good to believe for people they're like so you're telling me all i have to do is just go stand outside on the dirt with my shirt off and it will benefit my mood and my my physical well-being and my life quality like yeah it really is that yeah. simple well, and I love, yeah, I love that you highlighted that because there is this misconception in the public eye that exercise means driving to the gym in this special attire and getting on this treadmill or elliptical and just doing this grueling steady state cardio that you hate every minute of under these artificial junk lights, feeling judgments from other people in the gym. And there's just this stigma that that's what exercise is. Like it fits in this little box and you have to do it this way. And if you don't like that, well, then I'm just not going to exercise. And it's ludicrous because you and I both know gyms are not the healthiest place to be, you know? And on top of that, like you said, there's a barrier of entry and a, a big time commitment and a big, you know, kind of buildup. And that is what destroys compliance. That is why people can't stay sustain their fitness routine because they hate it. And it requires this hour or 90 minute time chunk. And it's just not meant to be that way. It's as simple as going outside for a walk in the sunshine. One of the most enjoyable and accessible activities to all of us. Now, I do have some patients that live in the Pacific Northwest and East Coast, and I'm like, the number one thing you could do is move closer to the equator if you want to better your health, because it is hard to feel good when you are in Seattle in the wintertime, or if you're under, you know, five feet of snow in Canada for three months out of the year, like it's, it is hard. I, I, I'll go to the snow for, you know, a trip for a few days. I'll be like, I, I'm like a, a fiend, dude. I got I'm like, I got to get back to San Diego. I got to get back to the sunshine because I'm not doing well, even though I'm having fun snowboarding and hanging with friends, like this is not my element. And it's just that contrast you shared. Like once you experience the profound shifts in your mood, in your energy, in your overall sense of well-being, in your quality of life, when you're getting out in the sun, you're moving your body, you're exposing your, your, your body to these natural elements in nature that we're meant to, for, to, to really thrive with our biology. And then you don't do that for a few days. You're like, this is what average people feel like. Jesus Christ. Like we need to, 
start getting people in tune with this stuff. So um, I, I want to touch on this a little bit more because back to the depression piece, mm-hmm. it is a spiral and people all may be listening to this and they may say like, oh, easy for you guys to say you're in good shape. You already got all this momentum going. Like I don't know what to do and I can't even get out of bed, let alone go to the, you know, go outside and exercise. And so I'm a big fan of really bringing in super small amounts. Like it doesn't have to be a 30 minute workout. It doesn't have to even be a workout. It just could be walk outside for, for 10 minutes, you know? Um, but what do you suggest for people who are just either always in this perpetual back and forth of like, all right, I'm in my fitness routine for a few months and I fall off, then I get back on, then I fall off. Cause I think that's majority of folks or also for folks who are in their off phase right now. And they just can't kickstart the engine. They can't get that momentum going. What do you suggest to really just kind of get the ball rolling in the right direction? <laughs> I got goosebumps right now, bro. <laughs> just because I, I love that. And I really passionately feel like two things that can really help people with this because I get it. And it's like, first of all, it's unlearning all of the shit that we've learned about, like what you said, oh, exercise. Okay. I'm going to go exercise. And that means I'm going to jump into this little box of like ideas and conceptions about like who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do and what exercise is supposed to be like. And especially the more I go on my journey and realizing like some of the biggest things that uh, you see around the world throughout time and history is dance, song and dance, man. And that concept to me being a very masculine, formal football player, strength and conditioning coach, we don't stop playing those silly little games. (laughs) Like that was what I think. Like strength and conditioning is really serious stuff. We got to work out and it's got to be in this order. And if you don't do it like that, then you're not, you're not doing it right. You know, (laughs) judgment of like, what exercise was supposed to be like myself. And then the older I get, I'm like seeing, especially yoga has totally cracked me open in so many ways with that conversation because it's nonlinear and it's much more intuitive based. You're just moving your body and breathing in synchronicity with the expansion and contraction of your movement of your spine And that alone of just like that concept, like really took a long time and had profound transformation for me in, in reconceptualizing what exercise was to me, even of like Qigong, another great example of like, you're kind of just standing there and moving and breathing. You're not really doing much, but it's just a, but, but internally all those things, you're still checking all those boxes. You're doing all those things. And like, Again, another one that I just think of being in the college recreational center as a, as a trainer, Zumba, you know, I used to like make fun of Zumba because I'm like, (laughs) oh, how silly is that? They're just like jumping around and dancing. And then the older I got, the more I'm like, just observing people coming out of a Zumba class. They're so high. They're so stoked. Yeah. Yeah. And they're jumping around and like the street coach of me is like, well, that's a lot of impact on the knees and you know, like they're not, well, they're, they're not going through full ranges of motion. It's like, dude, who cares? They're stoked. Like, yeah, it's not, that's not my thing. And so that brings me to point number one. Point number one is find what you love to do, do what you love and love what you do. I live by that in my life, especially 
I'm a bit of a hedonist myself and I'm very passionate. So I go after the things that I desire. And to me, that is like such a door in for people, a free pass to like, dude, it's okay if it looks funny. It's okay. Like, and, and that's, that's where you get to experiment with like all these different cultural, traditional practices of dance and movement and breath, whether it's yoga or Qigong or Tai Chi or in Hawaii, the ancient Hawaiian practice of Ulu, which is just the same shit. It's moving your body, moving your spine, breathing, moving energy within your own being. And, you know, adding music to that, so powerful. We already know so much about how, I mean, vibration influences expression and sound is a vibration, light is a vibration. And so that added component of music and breath and dance movement creates a trance state, a non-ordinary state of consciousness, sometimes referred to as ecstasis. Uh, Stealing Fire is a great book I recommend by Stephen Kyler and Jamie Wheel. They're the uh, founders of the Flow Genome Project. And basically, how are all the ways that we can tap into this different, non-ordinary, potentially expanded state of consciousness that has these different biological, physiological, biochemical, neurological uh, effects? And can we take those things and and use them as tools to optimize human performance and overall life quality and well-being and then we take it back like oh man cultures traditionally have been tapped into some of this wisdom forever certain drum beats creating a frequency that puts you into a non-ordinary state of consciousness i mean music guys everybody knows a good song comes on and you start thump, start you start dancing to it a little bit you know like it's hardwired into our dna and so to remove that concept, I think, to come back to what you said of what exercise is and come back into the realization that it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're moving your body. So the primary concern to me is, do you enjoy that activity? Do you enjoy doing it? Like you said, people go to the gym. It's so funny, man. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You see all the fitness stuff online and like people are like, oh, today's cardio day. <laughs> cardio is like a made up yeah, word. First of it all. is. Yeah. Like, and, and I can't speak highly enough about this concept because like I do a ton of cardio, but not in the traditional sense. You'll never find me on a Stairmaster. I'm out surfing. I'm out mountain biking. I'm on my stand-up paddleboard. I'm doing things that I freaking love that I would do, even if it, you know, calories burned, all the metabolic benefit, all that stuff aside, like none of that really matters. Cause at the end of the day, it gets me in flow. It connects me with my friends who I go out with. It gets me out in nature. And those are the things I really encourage people to seek out, seek out what you enjoy. Is it kayaking? Is it bike riding? Is it like you said, dance or Pilates, whatever it is, you know, it doesn't have to be some Peloton workout in the corner of your bedroom when you're just grinding it out because you have to, or feel like it's the only way there's so many ways to get outside and move your body and finding ones you enjoy is the golden ticket to making it sustainable and making that change a new habit, making it lasting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's such, it's such a perspective shift because it really ties into me to like the whole point of don't focus on the destination, focus on the journey, Mm -hmm. you know, And when you focus on the journey, you end up at that debt. You're going to end up at that destination anyway. As long as there's some strategy there, you're likely going to get really close to where you're aiming either way. And so you can either enjoy the process of getting there or like make it this hellacious, you know, struggle, which, you know, like we talked about earlier, struggle isn't bad, but the perspective of 
I want to lose 10 pounds. This is why in any coaching call, they always Simon Sinek was right. He's yep. what's your why It's like, yeah, you want to lose 10 pounds, but why? Well, cause I want to fit into my clothes. Why? Cause when you fit into your clothes, you feel good, whatever that is. And it's the same thing with exercises. Like you said so well is I do the things that I enjoy to do and they just happen to be active things where I'm moving my body because I know that that is a requirement for me. That's a need that I have. I need to pump the water wheel to make sure I don't get stagnant. Stagnancy breeds death. You know, a stagnant pond, all the life dies because there's not movement through it. And so exercise in the sense of just being physically active totally changes that like in the gym, dark, neon, all those things like, oh, no, just be physically active with your body, move your body. And if you can do that while doing something that you enjoy, then you'll get to where you want to go. You get the six pack, you get the, the health, you get the strong immune system, you get the abs, whatever it is that you want as the physical end goal is the reward you get for focusing on doing what you love consistently, moving your body, checking those boxes, managing your lifestyle factors appropriately. And the second point to that, doing what you love, love what you do, and then, and then try all the things, try all the flavors of the ice cream. Like, Oh, that's, that's Zumba. Ah, not my thing. That cool though. Like they love it. That's cool. Not my thing. Like Qigong, totally my thing. Ecstatic dance, not my thing. You're not going to catch me in ecstatic dance. Like I so support that. And I think it's really good for a lot of people. Yeah. Not my thing. And that's okay. I totally. know what my things are and they aren't, but you never know until you try. And then the, the second piece I have on that is, and you'd said it, is community support. And this is, again, going back to positive psychology because um, compliance, like you said, adherence to me is the number one focus point for a coach. That's the name of the game. So the online space, like when there's personal training, you got to be there Tuesday to meet me at 7 a.m. There's more accountability because you don't want to leave that person. Online training is a little more ambiguous. There's not quite that same level of direct accountability. So how can we get people to increase their adherence, which is ultimately going to get them the results that they want? Well, we got to reprogram the mind, you know, subconscious mind to conscious mind and having some kind of system in place that allows for the reprogramming to take place more easily is going to obviously increase your results. And in the process of learning new habits, it's very clear in the research that an external support group is going to increase your motivation because you've got a team, you've got people there that you are accountable to. It's a lot easier to uh, uh, fall short with yourself or, or maintain accountability to yourself. When there's other people involved, you don't want to let them down. And so it, it gives you that little extra boost to show up. And this is actually one of the reasons why I really think CrossFit was on is on to some really gold nuggets because you've got people that are coming in that have all of these like oh, doubts, fears, whatever. It's really hard to start a program. You don't know how to do it. But then you struggle with other people that are focused on the same end goal as you. You guys have this one pointed intention to better your health, to complete the workout that automatically you're like, yeah, we got this. You know, like, let's go, guys. And so even in the research, it shows it increases adherence just by having that support group around you. And that's specifically more important in the beginning. Once you start to cultivate 
those feelings of well-being within yourself and you've got a little bit more of a, a grooved neural pattern, a new habit, then it's easier. It's like for guys like you and me, we just, it's a non-negotiable at this yeah. point. I yeah. know that it's one of my medicines. I need to go move my body. I need to do these certain things. Yeah. And that's non-negotiable. But and that's other- how I think people need to frame it is that it's not this like optional thing. That's like a bonus and maybe here, maybe there. It's more like people like everyone brushes your teeth or you drink water, you eat food. You, you do these necessary things to survive as a human add exercise, add sunlight, add movement to this list. Because if you don't do those, no, you won't drop dead in three days or four days. Like you would, if you stop drinking water or, you know, you, you're going to slowly begin to die inside though. You know, it's slowly starting to create the deficits and the imbalances that are going to make you feel absolutely awful about yourself. And also physically your energy, your zest for life, everything just starts to slowly decline. And so when you start to view it as that, as a medicine, as an essential part of being a human in the world today, then you'll start to actually kind of shift it from like, ah, it's this thing I should do that I sometimes do that I don't usually do to like, this is part of being a human on, you know, this is what I need to do to survive. Yeah, man. And that community support is such a, you yeah. know, finding that thing that you love to do that makes it not a drag. Cause not every day you're going to be like, fuck yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. you're going to feel the drag. And like, if you don't do, if you're not doing something that you love, it makes it a lot harder to follow through. And if you don't have a support group, it makes it a lot harder to follow through It's actually a recent, this is something I read a long time ago, but um, it was talking about social exercise is actually one of the highest producers of oxytocin it cuddling babies and and petting dogs like those produce a lot of oxytocin social exercise is another one of those things and then you think again we go back to traditional cultures where they would get together every week and do a dance and like have ritual around that and it's so funny because it's that intuitive body wisdom that's like that was like that weekly medicine, you know, like they come together and then like, everybody's like, good to see you, Bob. Okay, cool. See you next week, you know, like for our next dance session so we can take our medicine together, you know, and like looking at it from that perspective of community support, doing something that you love, it like totally obliterates that model of like, you gotta exercise and it's gotta suck and you gotta yeah. suffer, you know, <laughs> like the, the David Goggins, like, yeah, yeah place for that but for most people that are just looking to go from not feeling great to feeling better like that those first couple steps like find a support group find an activity that you love to do it doesn't have to be this like massive transition and journey like you know like the number one i tell people plan b always go for a 20 minute walk outside like anybody can do that you can walk in circles in your driveway you know and i like to really break i'll add one more point to your list of you know that are awesome uh, and that's to really decrease the time commitment. That's the number one excuse people have is I don't have time. And for some people, it's a legitimate excuse. They got kids, they got a full-time job, they got social obligations, they got all sorts of things on their to-do list. And I, I mean, I get it, mm-hmm. but exercise doesn't have to be this hour long thing. It can literally be five minutes of some push-ups and body weight squats. And that's going to be enough for the average person to feel better and to start getting some results in so many capacities. And that's why I put together my whole minimum effective dose training protocol, which are 10 to 12 minute workouts. Would more volume make you, you know, excel faster? Yeah, but it's not necessary. And it's usually going to be a big deterrent from sustaining the, the the habit and the routine and actually getting into your groove. And so by breaking it down and 
for this style of training, I give it out to everyone for free. I could charge for these programs, but it's really my way of giving back of saying, here's an effective strategy to get a lot of benefit in a very small amount of time. That's mentally very easy. It's simple. It's effective. And that is what I think most people are missing is they think if I can't do 45 minutes on my cardio machine, I'm just not going to do it at all. Cause I don't have time for 45 minutes. And it's like, no, you could do five minutes, you could do 10 minutes and it's going to be so much more effective than nothing. And it's really oftentimes going to lead to more time. Cause once you get the blood flow and the heart rate up, you get, you know, all these different chemicals being produced in the body and the brain before you know it, you're like, all right, I'm here. I'm in it. Let's keep it rolling. Um, but even if you do stop after five minutes, like people underestimate what I like to call trigger sessions, which are just brief bursts of movement sprinkled in throughout your day. It doesn't have to be this hour long time block at the beginning or end of your day. It could be, and that works for some people, but what's more effective is just sprinkling it in every hour, every couple hours, getting up from your desk, going outside for five minutes, doing a set of push-ups, set of lunges, maybe a little plank action, going back inside, getting right back to work. You know, everyone has time for that. Like no one's going to be like, no, I didn't go pee all day today, John, because I didn't have two minutes to myself. Like everyone has a few minutes here and there for themselves, no matter how busy you are. And so those are really good opportunities to mix in this little burst of movement, to mix in some fresh air and some natural light uh, and couple it all together and stack these habits so that it is time efficient. And, you know, you look back at the end of a day of sprinkling in these a handful of times and you're going to get as much done as the guy that went to the gym and spent 90 minutes of his morning, you know, grinding it out on the treadmill. 100%, man, 100%. And that's really becoming more apparent with COVID. It's giving people that opportunity to like, well, I can't drive to the gym. So I got to do it at home. And then they do it at home. And they're like, shoots, actually, I have like an extra 30 minutes because I don't have to drive 15 minutes both ways to the gym, you know, like there's yeah. so many of those things. And like, I have a very similar, uh, I call it movement hygiene. And this is something that I have implemented with myself with great success. And uh, one point that I did want to touch on just a little bit in this conversation is breath to the power of breath, which oh, really yeah. falls in the, in the conversation in the umbrella of movement because you're moving your diaphragm. But the, the power of those little bouts, man, to reset. I mean, this was a research study. It was six deep belly breaths can totally reset your autonomic nervous system and shift you from a sympathetic state into a parasympathetic state. Six breaths, man. I mean, like if you look at, for example, like a four in, two hold, four out, two hold breath count, which is what I start everybody on as like the most basic two to one inhale and exhale to hold. It's just like box breathing, but a little less hold, a uh, little less time in the holds. It's usually a little easier for people, especially starting out. But I mean, that's a 12 second breath, five breaths. That's one minute. In one minute, you can reset your nervous system. Like that is so powerful. I mean, like somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're in a stressful work meeting, your kid or spouse freaks out on you. Literally before that trigger even is finished, you can have already reset your nervous system by just doing deep belly breaths. And uh, this is just to touch on the power of the breath, especially in our conversation about um, prescriptions and a pill for that kind of thing, that mentality. When I was in India, I was actually... Uh, we were at this um, convention that was talking about, it's called the Ministry of Ayush, which is Ayurveda, yoga, and there's the other, the definitions hit homeopathy is one of them, Siddha or something like that. But they're basically just natural alternative practices of medicine. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, yoga is one of them that they consider a practice of medicine. And I 100% do. That's a whole another podcast. But one of the one of the most key pieces that I took away from that convention was a research study that they had done where they took an, a breathing technique for five minutes a day, which is alternate nostril breathing, which literally is just alternating your inhales and your exhales between your nostrils. It's a really easy technique that you can find on Google. And five minutes of doing that a day was as effective as the leading pharmaceutical antidepressant with zero side effects, obviously, because you're breathing versus- Beneficial side effects, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The long list of things that a medication can cause is as effective as the leading medication yeah. for five minutes. This yeah. is how much effort you have to put in. You have to yeah. move your finger from your one nostril to the other. Like it can't get simpler. It can't get more time efficient. And it's proven to be as effective, if not parentheses, more effective than the the leading medication and no side effects. And I mean, just yeah. the fact that you got to pay for that medication. Yeah, you know, like, I know. And, and yeah, exercise cons yeah, consistently beats out different SSRI drugs and other antidepressant medications when head to head all the time, you know, showing that it's more effective and it's so simple. And all these things that we're talking about, I love this conversation because a lot of people in our, our space of, you know, holistic health and wellness get all caught up in the biohacks and the technologies and the vitamins and the supplements. And, you know, you got to get this red light panel and this infrared sauna and this cold plunge and all these different PEMF mats. And, you know, you go down the list and I love all that stuff. I have all that stuff because it's my passion and it's, you know, something I really enjoy. And it's obviously a key component to my work, but you don't need any of it. All of these are just trying to mimic the benefits you get for free in nature. So between exercise, breath work, sensible sun exposure, grounding, all of these things really just are the foundation to a healthy, happy, and vital life. I mean, that's all it is, man. It's And once you realize that, it's it's one thing to hear it on a podcast or to hear someone talking about it and be like, yeah, 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 that sounds fine, guys. I, I'm not doubting you. You probably have some good points. But when you experience it, when it's that visceral knowing, that gnosis, that is what really flips the switch and your, your life is forever changed. Because now, you know, I have these tools with me anytime, anywhere. I don't have to buy them. I don't have to consult with anyone else. I have these vital, important life skills that I can carry with me forever that can change my state, that can enhance my mood, that can enhance every aspect of my well-being. And once you realize that, it's just, man, it's a completely different game of life that you're playing. And I mean, even on that too, I'm sure this is what drives you because it, oh man, goosebumps again. It's what drives me of to watch other people go through, because I always use this example of, it's like the, it, it's a, a common parable in, um, in spiritual teachings in the journey to enlightenment. Once you get to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, you don't even want to keep it for yourself. All you want to do is like, Hey, everybody, yeah. like. I want you to feel what I'm feeling. This is so cool. And to watch other people go through that aha moment and have that subjective direct experience, that epiphany. Wow. This really does work. Like then it's like, yes, go forth my child and <laughs> share these gifts with everyone. And yeah. like, the movement hygienist, I'm sure it's like identically the same to the protocol that you have, but I call it the movement hygiene where it's five minutes of breathing and stillness. You know, you're sitting and breathing 
and then it's 10 minutes of mobilizing different stretches. What from some people would look and go, Oh, that's yoga. Some other people would look and be like, Oh, that's functional range conditioning, spinal segmentation, cat cow words don't matter. You're moving your body for 10 minutes in different positions through full range of motion to get the most bang for your buck, you know, some glute bridge, some core stuff, you know, some spinal mobilizing, mobilize the hips, the spine, the shoulders, activate the posterior chain and the, and the, the deep stabilizer muscles, you know, nothing crazy, five, six movements, 10 minutes, and then five minutes, exactly what you said of push-ups and squats, 20 on, 10 off, 10 sets, five minutes, you know, and you've got in that breath, stillness, movement, and quote unquote exercise to where you can take five minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes, and apply those separately throughout your day, depending on just like anything, it's, it's a variable that you then understand, okay, five minutes of stillness and breathing is going to bring me down and center me and calm me five minutes of squats and push-ups are going to bring me up. It's going to stimulate me and it's going to energize me and bring more focus and alertness. So you start to be the manager of your dials where you can turn this one up and turn this one down. Oh, if I push on this vagus nerve, it does this. And so you start to be able to manage your factors, turning up and turning down the knobs appropriately. But like you said, five minutes of breathing, 10 minutes of a stretch here and there, five minutes, you know, and if, if over time you start to put those things together and you can create some kind of synergistic effect of the moving and the breathing and all of it at once, then even better, but it doesn't have to be like that, especially on step one. And the biggest thing, like, this is why I give it away for free too. It's free 20 minute movement hygiene and I'll run challenges where I just, just to get people in to experience that for seven days, 20 days, whatever it is. Like I've done this one for 20 days before. And it's crazy, man, dude on 17 medications, bro, rheumatoid arthritis, overweight, diabetes, the whole works. He just signs up for this 20 minutes, move your body. And he couldn't even do a couple of the movements all the way. Dude was like pretty old and all the factors involved 20 days later, man, I just doing this. He's like, and, and not only did he see change in his body, but then that motivated him to continue on and expand the journey and start looking into some of the other technologies and skills that he can incorporate. And after working with him for a couple months after that, he, he worked with me one-on-one -on -one for a while. He went from 17 medications down to 11, down to nine and reduced his uh, blood pressure medication significantly. Uh, all by his doctor's orders. His doctor's like, oh, you don't need to be on these medications anymore. Your biomarkers are way better. You're way healthier. What have you been doing? And he's like, dude, 20 minutes of just wiggling around a little bit, breathing, <laughs> moving, squatting, you know? And yeah. like, I was that case study, you know, that's like, oh, I can't. It's, I'm, I'm too this, I'm too, I'm, oh, I'm like, no, just a little dose consistently. Like Paul Check, one of my biggest mentors, 1% for 100 days is 100% increase. And 100 days is three months, man. Like, that's not a long time. It's not. A new whole habit. You can have 100% transformation in your life from just doing something that you like to do consistently a little bit every day. And then the next thing you know, like you and I, you're at that point where you're like, this is a non-negotiable. There's, I have to have this in my life because I am so addicted to feeling good. I'm so addicted to well-being. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I want to kind of tie up the some of the depression piece because I have a couple other things I want to dive in with you, and we're we're going a little long here. So, um, one thing I think I want people to take away from this conversation is that depression is really a signal. 
you know, it's pain. And pain is one of the greatest catalysts for change, for personal growth. And while depression can be terribly disruptive, it comes down to how you frame it. And if you choose to have the perspective that it's a signal, that it's guiding you towards a realization, maybe it's that you need to move more like we're talking about in this conversation. Maybe it's that you need to remedy some relationship stuff, improve your nutrition, get outside more, make a different path in your career. There's a lot of things, but understanding that it's not just bad luck. It's not just genetic. It's a signal and you need to listen to it because it can be such a great catalyst to take action. So I want everyone listening in to take one action today to work towards the life you desire for yourself. It could be applying some of the strategies John's going over in terms of some brief movement, a little bit of breath work, a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of just minor tweaks with this compound effect you're referring to where you just 1% is not a lot of change. You know, it's not a lot of new things. It's not like you're transforming everything and you got to allocate five hours a day to this new practice. It's simple, you know, take five minutes every day and you'll be amazed when you look back, even within a couple of weeks, let alone a few months and a few years. I mean, these things just compound and grow and really build momentum and energy in the right direction to fuel you into the direction that you need to go. So that's one thing I've learned through my path because I think depression is a spectrum. It's not like you're completely destroyed. You can't get out of bed. You're on all these medications ready for a psych ward because you're so depressed. A lot of people just get it mildly. You know, a lot of us just feel down from time to time and just our mood could use a little support and we're just feeling off. You know, it would be the way I hear a lot of people describe it. And that's, a, I think, on the spectrum of, of depression. It's like you have some diagnosis or you have some disease but there's room for improvement. There's room to improve your mental and emotional well-being. And these are effective, proven, simple strategies that won't cost you a penny that I encourage everyone to really go full force into. Yeah, I, I so support that because it's you, you don't often play up to the expectations. You fall back on your habits. You fall back on your training. And even uh, just as an anecdote of myself yesterday, uh, Saturday and Sunday, I uh, went to this um, kind of like a, a house gathering concert on Saturday. It's called a kirtan for any yogis out there. And uh, then uh, Sunday, I went to bed later than usual. Monday, I was just a little yesterday, a little more tired, a little off, respecting that, allowing that and accepting that and not judging myself for being down. And like you said, pain is information. The pain yep. teacher can teach you so much if you're willing to embrace and lean into the sensation instead of run away from it and use it as a signal as a tool to like oh what's a little off what knobs what knobs do i need to turn a little bit so i took a nap yesterday i spent more time outside just i wasn't even doing anything active i was literally just like standing outside and watering my my plants and like just knowing that i need a little extra i need an extra pill of sunshine today whatever that is, like, I just need a little bit more of that. And another thing too, just on the, the conversation of pain and depression specifically, this has been probably sunlight movement and the other most noticeable factor for me that influences my depression is inflammation via nutrition. Mm -hmm. And I, this is so significant to me now, my digestive system and my microbiome is so pristine that any deviation from that is so significantly noticeable and I can go back that's why I love journaling so much because you can go back and see like oh I did that five days ago and now I'm still feeling like shit today or whatever it is like 
you can start to make more parallels that will help you to not repeat the same mistakes over and over. But I can go back to, you know, put, I, I don't drink anymore, but I used to be a big drinker, really partied hard in college and drank a ton. And now even just a little bit of alcohol is too much for my system. I, it, it's not that I don't drink because I have any ethical or moral obligation not to. It's because I just don't desire to feel shitty the next day, two days, three days of whatever that is going to be. And the same thing with eating, you know, like not eating sugar and artificial foods. If you have anything like that, it's such a significant stimulus to the system where like, you know, you get the sugar hangover or, you know, even I'm very sensitive to gluten. Like I'm not allergic to it, but I just notice I feel shittier when I eat gluten. And usually whenever it's a gluten containing food, there's likely other things in it too that are also contributing to increasing in inflammation. And I just am so sensitive to that now to know that sunlight, movement, and nutrition are like the three biggest knobs I have to manage to make sure that I don't slip into states of apathy and depression. Because like you said, it's a spectrum. Yeah. And I don't go back to my life is a, a waste, all the, you know, the super intense, I don't go there anymore. But I mean, from 100 to 90, even just coming down that 10%, it's noticeable. And I'm in control, we are in control of those epigenetic, those lifestyle factors. And all you have to do is get in the knowledge of what things move, what buttons, and then apply, 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 just start tinkering with those knobs, five minutes of breath a day, whatever it is. Yeah, I love the nutrition piece, which is a big part of my work because most of these neurotransmitters that make us feel good, like serotonin and dopamine, they're synthesized in the gut. And if your gut is imbalanced and you have dysfunction in your microbiome, well, guess what? They're not going to be produced at adequate amounts that your brain needs to feel freaking good. And so I'm I'm right there with you. And once you realize the differences and just understand, because I've been taking a break from booze and all these types of things for a while myself, it just doesn't serve you. And when you say like, hey, this just doesn't serve me, uh, I feel better without it. It's not something that I feel the need or draw to. It's an easy pass, you know, and that's the thing I've come to realize when it comes to like people who say, oh, my God, you're so disciplined in this or that. It's like, no, no, no. I just listen to the biofeedback my body's giving me. And I actually understand like if, if something makes me feel like complete garbage, I don't really have the desire to consume it or to, you know, go after it because I, I realize I put one and one together. I ingest this, I feel this way. Mm-hmm. So when I ingest something that makes me feel like trash, I don't want, I'm not rushing to go back to it. You know what I mean? So that's a big thing. And so getting into some of the more details on nutrition, I want to just kind of do a couple rap, rapid fire questions here for you. Sure. What do you eat on a typical day? Like, I think it's about midday for you in, uh, in Maui, you're a few hours behind me. What, what'd you have for breakfast today? Yeah, I'm, I'm a really big proponent on jerf, just eat real food. That's something I heard in 2013 that I thought was super catchy. And I was like, oh, I'm taking that. I'm taking that with me because it simplifies the whole process for people of what do I eat? How much, what types and all that. Like, just let, let's just not eat food like products and like, let's just eat things that come from the earth. And so that's like number one for me. That's like one of the biggest priorities. And I really live that. I started that in 2013. There's a funny story, but it's a little long behind that. But basically um, I had a psychedelic experience that totally woke me up and was like, yo, you got to live this, like stop fucking around. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, if I'm going to be one of the leading health and fitness experts, you know, coaches, leaders in the world, 
then I need to walk the walk and I exercise and train and all that. But my diet was trash. I grew up with really, really uh, unhealthy eating style. And uh, then in 2013, I was like, okay, I'm going to change it around, start eating real food. And I mean, that transition was incredible in itself. I mean, I lost 8% body fat. I lost 16 pounds in a month. And that like inspired me to start doing bodybuilding. And uh, so that was like a whole catalyst to my journey. But really, it was just as simple as like, okay, I'm just going to stop buying food like products and only buy living food. And so that's something that is just like a non-negotiable for me. And like, of course, 90, 10, whatever, like I'll have a snack here and there. I mean, not even really, like you said, now it's a, I, not to digress, but Charles Poliquin, he says, discipline is a fall- a myth. It's passion, love. You have so much love for yourself and for the feeling of feeling good that it's not a discipline thing. It's a no, like I literally like I feel so good and I know that that's going to make me feel not good. And so I just don't even want I don't even have the desire to make that decision. But uh, on a daily intake for me, I usually eat twice a day or, or so. I'm, I'm a big proponent of fasting more so for spiritual reasons than than physical. But I started intermittent fasting back at the same time I started eating real, real food in 2013. And I did that for years and I still kind of do. But without the rigor of uh, the 16-8 model. And I focus more on extended fasts for the other benefits, the mental, emotional, and spiritual benefits outside of the physical. Of course, obviously it's autophagy is happening. You're, you're regenerating cells and you've got all these good things that are happening. Stimulation of BDNF, which improves brain function and so on. But um, for my typical daily intake now, I'll usually have a coffee with a couple tablespoons of grass-fed butter or coconut oil and uh, about of like a half scoop of chocolate protein powder, blend it up, turns it into a nice little like hot chocolate. And uh, that's usually the first calories that I take in for the day. If I don't have the, the coffee in the morning, then I'll usually just continue on until I have some form of food later around like midday. But um I, for example, today I had, I had the coffee. That's all I've had so far. I'm going to strength train after this. And then I'll have a smoothie, which is typically, you know, some fruit, a couple bananas, one or two bananas, some sprouts or some leafy greens. I've got a bunch of sunflower sprouts and microgreens in the fridge right now. And then a little bit of chocolate protein powder. Sometimes something that I started recently that I actually really enjoy is um, chopping up uh, about an ounce or so. If that, I don't know, I've never weighed it, but like a small serving of venison liver. Nice. I'll that up and put it in the smoothie. So I've got raw liver. Liver is so incredibly good for you. It's so nutrient dense, but it's pretty tough to eat, especially yeah. venison liver. It's pretty gamey. Yeah. And so when you cook it, the smell is what gets me. But when you uh, chop it up raw, frozen into your smoothie and blend it, don't even notice it. And it's actually, you get a little bit more out of it raw than you do cooking it. So, oh, yeah. Uh, I've been doing that and uh, really enjoying that as a way to get in some uh, organ meat through the day. And then dinner is almost always some combination of the four food groups. The way that I look at it is you've got carbs, proteins, fats, and then veg. 
I consider veggies their own food group because they're not very calorically dense. They don't have much other than a little bit of carbohydrates, depending on how starchy they are, but they're full of vitamins and minerals. And the fiber really is the key there that helps the microbiome. It's food for them and they eat that and then they help with everything else as a byproduct. So uh, the veggies, usually I've got like, um, some kind of leafy greens in there, sprouts or lettuce or kale, um, mushrooms and leeks. These are like literally things that I eat every day. And, uh, then avocados are a big source of fat for me. Um, olive oil, nuts and seeds, other fats there. And, uh, then as far as carbohydrates, beans, uh, quinoa, beets, carrots, potatoes, starchy veg, and then proteins, the main two sources of protein, I should say three sources of protein that I get, which are really a good combination of proteins and fats would be fish, venison, and eggs. And going back to the JERF model, it's all locally sourced. I get my eggs yeah. from these, which is a farm out here. They're a biodynamic farm, totally regenerative. They are incredible. Like the guy that owns that hundred percent integrity, just an incredible guy that's really doing good work there, full integrity, which I, I really support them. And then I get my venison from a local hunter and I get my fish from a local fisherman at the market. And so everything's market. I don't even really go to the grocery store. Like truly I order some things on Amazon, like bulk and quinoa and bulk of my black beans and like a couple other purchases. I get fresh pressed olive oil from a company that uh, does seasonal rotations on olive oil. But I mean, it's like, I rarely, when COVID hit, it was a joke to me and my friends, or it's like, oh, I, I get it. Just nothing changes for me. I get to keep doing exactly what I was doing. I just have more of an excuse now to not go to the grocery store. So that's, that's pretty much a day in the life for me with some animal meats of some kind, some eggs, maybe some yogurt here and there again from the local farm when they have it, um, sauerkraut, and then veggies, starches, carbs, and, and some fats from avocados and olives and uh, nuts and seeds. Love it, man. So I want to go back to the very beginning on the coffee. So you're, you're the founder of an awesome organic coffee company uh, called Jurf Life, correct? Mm -hmm. And so I want to dive into some of the details on optimizing people's daily cup of joe, because I become kind of a connoisseur, you know, back in the, when I first started drinking coffee in like mid-college, you know, you had like the, the old, you know, the shitty drip coffee makers that, you know, use like the Folgers, God awful pre-ground beans that shouldn't even be called coffee. Cause it's just a toxic nonsense that in a, you know, plastic jug. Um, and now I've gotten to the point where I only source biodynamic, you know, organic beans that are freshly roasted and, you know, grown at high elevation. And I, you know, make sure the water is the perfect temp between 195 and 200. And I, brewed in my French press, you know, and all the different things that I kind of got into over the years. And so I wanted to hear from you just being, you know, owner of a co coffee company, you surely know more than I do about coffee. What, what are some of the top tips uh, you, you kind of suggest for people to, uh, to get the most out of their coffee from a health perspective? And then also some of the top mistakes you see people are commonly making. Oh, great, dude. Great questions. Those are awesome. And I totally feel you. I, I have the same exact journey with coffee. I didn't even start drinking coffee until my senior year of college out of necessity. So it's just going ham. And it was just purely fuel, just like yeah. plug those and just <laughs> 15 ounces so you can get another two hours in the library. And uh, yeah, I didn't actually start uh, drinking healthy coffee until... Uh, gosh, when was this? It's probably 2017, I would say 2016, 2017. 
And uh, I was uh, watching a TED Talks video that was talking about coffee beans and fresh roasting coffee beans. And so to kind of answer both of your questions there, the, the first being what are the things that you can do to optimize your, your coffee experience, ideally improve the nutritional quality of it. The first one, of course, is get organic beans. This is something actually that not a lot of people know, but coffee is one of the most highly sprayed foods with pesticides. And that's because the coffee bean itself is actually a seed that comes from the fruit of a coffee cherry and coffee cherries, just like any other barrier cherry, they don't have a shield around them and they're a nice, sweet, yummy treat for bugs and other animals. So uh, the pests in that sense that they're trying to keep away, uh, they spray really high amounts of super toxic pesticides on and insecticides, which is what I'll, I'll talk a little more specifically about on your coffee beans. And the thing is, is most coffee is imported internationally. And so the regulations are non-existent, man. It's pretty intense out there. Like what they can get away with as far as um, cultivating and processing is pretty gnarly. And so just for example, your typical conventional coffee, I may be off by a couple numbers or something, but it's something like the average conventional coffee has up to 42 different pesticides sprayed on it. And out of that, this is something I thought was like super alarming. I think five or seven of them are on the World Health Organization's list of extremely hazardous to human health. And that's because they essentially have this enzyme in them that goes into vertebrates and starts to like dissolve your spinal cord. That's not quite exactly what's happening, but like, whoa, that doesn't sound healthy. That's super intense. Yeah. And it's really effective. And so they like in the European Union and other countries, these are completely banned. And because the coffee's grown outside of the States and then imported, there's kind of a loophole there where they can get away with using some of those things outside of the country and then shipping it in that you wouldn't be able to use in the United States. So conventional coffee is extremely toxic and uh, can really damage your microbiome. And so that's just one thing to note of make sure that you're buying USDA organic coffee and even the USDA organic, there's some wiggle room there. So even beyond the certification itself, personal research, personal discretion, like find a company that you trust that is, uh, they're living it, they're really authentic and transparent. And uh, I think that's so important. And uh, yeah, you got to really know what is happening in that import process. Like, for example, to bring certain types of beans to Hawaii, there's certain regulations there, like uh, Ethiopian beans, you can't even ship to Hawaii, because there's some bacteria or microbe or something that is like, uh, um, what's the word? Um, invasive. And so like, they can't even get certain types of coffee beans here. So there's, there's a lot more to that conversation than you'd think. And then like some crazy facts, there's this, this was in 2007 or something like a census of the amount of coffee. There's like 3 billion pounds of coffee that come into, or 1.5 billion, something like that. A lot of coffee comes into America every year and only 5% of it is organic, which is like wild because the whole conversation wow. of pesticides in general 
it's not just of influencing that food and then the potentially the person that's eating it. It's influencing that entire ecosystem. It's getting into the soil. It's getting into the water, which is running down into the local communities and they're drinking that and they're getting sick. And it's wild how intense pesticides are everywhere. They're in water supply and everything everywhere. So that's just like the larger conversation. And one of the big talking points with Jerf is organic is so important because it's it's not polluting the entire planet quite literally. So that's like the biggest thing, make sure your coffee is organic. So you're not getting the pesticides in. And then the other most important thing, which is what I learned originally when I started getting into fancy connoisseur coffee, getting all snobby with it was fresh roasting your coffee beans. Coffee actually like anything is a food and think about rice. Rice can last a really long time. Once you cook it, then it starts to decay. The, the half-life process begins. It's the same thing with coffee. Think about a loaf of bread. It comes fresh out of the oven. Yummy, smells good. It's all awesome. Same loaf of bread two weeks later sitting on the counter. Gross. You don't even want to eat it. It's dry. There's no nutritional value left in it. And it's really the same thing with your coffee beans. And the recommendation is to drink your coffee within seven to 14 days of the coffee beans being roasted. And so that's super important factor because it's not just Uh, The antioxidants, which is what uh, coffee gets the touted as a superfood or a health food because it has a really high level of antioxidants. And there are other nutritional benefits to coffee if consumed after it's been freshly roasted, like within that window, there's amino acids that they're still discovering there's, you know, a uh, research still going on. I'm sure that they'll keep finding deeper layers of this, but there's other things that are in the coffee bean that will benefit you nutritionally. If you consume it within that 14 ish, you know, I would say it's probably upwards of like a month ish that range. If you can drink it sooner, you'll get more nutritional value out of the coffee. So it's really important to look for freshly roasted on whatever coffee you're buying. If you can get fresh roasted coffee, not only is it like that loaf of bread coming out of the oven, the smell is usually way better, way more intense. And also you're gonna get more nutritional value out of it. And um, one other point that I'll make in what not to do is the grinding process of the beans. You can usually buy beans, either ground or whole bean. When you cut the bean, when you grind the bean, it actually accelerates the decay process. So it's recommended just like you're not, it's, you you don't want to leave like your vitamin C out on the counter with the lid open. It'll oxidize the same thing with the coffee beans. You don't want to leave them out in the open air for an extended period of time. So you want to consume your coffee as soon as you can within the roasting date. And then upon grinding, you want to make that coffee within like 15 minutes. You want to make it right away. So Basically, the main rule of thumb is only grind as many beans as you're going to use for that cup that you're brewing right then and there and leave the rest whole in some kind of sealed container, like a, a mason or a container. Or something. Room temp or do you, do you subscribe to the whole freezing of the beans? Actually, that's uh, something interesting, too. I mean, like uh, from what I've heard from these other researchers they recommend to not freeze the bean and actually keep it at a room temperature or just cooler than room temperature. So something like a cool, dark place, like your pantry mm-hmm. works. Fine. Got it. Yeah. Well, we're running up on time, John. I know I could ask you a dozen more questions on coffee because I love coffee and it's something that I think there's a lot of room for improvement for people that, you know, drink it daily and wouldn't mind 
sourcing a little better stuff, preparing it a little differently if they knew, hey, this makes a big difference. These are good things to look out for. So I love those tips that you shared. And we'll have to have you back on to talk about a lot more and not just coffee, but I know your wealth of knowledge and a number of other topics we didn't have a chance to get to today. So in in closing, uh, where can people get some of this fantastic coffee you sell? And then where can they connect with you online and learn more about your work? Yeah, totally. The The coffee company is called Jerf Life. Like you said, the website is Jerf, J-E-R-F dash, a little hyphen, L-I-F-E, Jerf dash life.com. And uh, you can go check us out. We've got home compostable coffee bags, uh, completely uh, compostable packaging for shipping. So no plastic used in our process there. And uh, we fresh roast every, my, my roaster will fresh roast. And I'll go pick up batches from him as we go. So jerf uh, lifecom for the coffee, check that out. And uh, for coaching, my coaching business is Kemp Fitness Professional. You can find me everywhere on the internet with that. Just search K Fitness Pro or Kemp Fitness Professional. The website is kfitnesspro.com. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram as well. I've got uh, a lot of content that I put out there, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. K-Fitness Pro, you'll find me all over. Love it, man. Thanks for taking the time. And this has been an epic conversation. So I really encourage people listening in to go check out your work to learn more. And I am looking forward to getting my hands on some of these coffee beans. I'm going to get an order in right away. Yeah, buddy. I got you. (laughs) Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please share it along to anyone else you believe it can serve. You can find the show notes and resources we discussed at ryankennedyshow.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review for the show. Your feedback helps to support me on my mission to positively impact as many people as possible with this information. Much love, everyone.